0: Hello, cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 202 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, we're catching up with Adam Meyerson. It's always good to get Adam's perspective on life and racing and cyclocross, and that's exactly what we're doing. It's been a while since we have chatted, so it was good to catch up and really get a a good grasp of... How everyone is handling cyclocross, especially in North America, and the things that we're looking forward to once we're able to resume racing somewhere in the future. Before we get to our chat with Adam, I want to tell you about Willa's oat milk that you can get at willaskitchen.com. It's the creamiest oat milk you're going to be able to get anywhere. I've been adding it to my steel-cut oats in the morning, and it has just been wonderful. Willis is USDA-certified, organic, non-GMO-certified. Really, you're going to be consuming this guilt-free. It is sustainable, and we want you to get it at a discount by putting in the code CROSSHAIRS20 when you check out at williskitchen.com. It's CROSSHAIRS20. williskitchen.com also make sure you check out everything going on at wideanglepodium.com the episodes for all of our shows are coming out weekly and bi-weekly and they're all worth listening to go listen to a new show go check out Nowhere Fast the e-racing show hosted by Zach Schuster and and featuring Mike Swart and also Kevin Bouchard-Hall and then check out the newly uh, named Criterium Nation. Rob does a great job on that show. And so far, Frank, he's hanging in there. But, you know, we'll give it some time. Anyway, everything's at WideAnglePodium.com. Also go to YouTube.com slash WideAnglePodium. Lots of videos up there already. There may be some new stuff about cyclocross on the way. We'll see how it goes. But make sure you check back and subscribe so you always know when the new videos drop. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. Go rate it five stars for Cyclocross Radio. You can follow me at CXHairs on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your letters at feedback at CXHairs.com. All right. It's episode 202 of Cyclocross Radio. We're talking to Adam Meyerson, and we're doing that right now. So when we first decided to to chat i think just with our schedules and everything well it was like at least two weeks ago right
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: just in that time i mean from from what we wanted to talk about sort of uh, this the state of cycle across and cycling in general and just just the world and where we're at from two weeks ago where it was already kind of looking a little, a little bleak to now yeah. has drastically changed and even, even today, I mean, we're recording this like Parry roubaix got canceled I was gonna today. Say, yeah, you didn't say right? <laughs> I know.
1: I think that's been the whole pandemic though. I think, um, if you go all the way back to March, it felt like things were changing daily and then they were changing weekly. Like you couldn't count on anything and you were constantly responding to things. And maybe at some point it felt like we settled down to some degree, but, um, every day it seems like something new, but you're right. The world just keeps changing over and over and over again on us.
0: Yeah. So within, within the time that I think we were first chatting, we were talking about, you know, the remaining UCI races in the U S and, and how people were approaching those, especially, you know, o- o- elite riders and, and nationals was still scheduled in, in Iowa city. So, and there was a lot of, I think, hand-wringing over, should we do these events? Should we not do these events? You know, people going online, some making declarative statements, absolutely not going, not going to nationals. It doesn't make sense. Others, you know, playing more of a wait-and-see game. I think, if anything, at least we have clarity on that. There are no UCI races remaining. There's no nationals. So, as much as it stinks, and even for me, because I'm in the same position, I'm like, well, these races are happening. You know, it's sort of like two hats here. I may not think they should happen but at the same time if there's something to cover do I have the obligation to go cover it so it everybody was in this really hard position but not anymore I mean we're, we're kind of done
1: right right I you know I left the way I would say I approached it for myself and with my athletes was um we left the opportunity the possibility open but none of us were counting on it or planning around it we were I was expecting it to be canceled and and I think USA Cycling was expecting it to be canceled. I know they got a lot of criticism for moving the venue or for not canceling it early, but from my perspective, they actually had a responsibility to keep a plan in place until it was no longer viable, not to preemptively cancel. So I thought they behaved honestly, uh, correctly and, 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 and ethically in that case. And they followed the same pattern they had where they canceled at a set time out from the event when it was clear, uh, definitively, that it couldn't happen. So
0: there are also a lot of funny. things that happen behind the scenes that I don't think people are aware of when when those changes are being made, and it may look crazy at the time. But I know just from the other work I do, and and we, you know, I'm I'm responsible for. Uh, putting together this, this conference that has like 1200 people. And even though we know we're not going to do it in the hotel conference hall ballroom that we usually do it, we can't publicly announce that yet, or else we will lose thousands and thousands of dollars from the hotel because we're going to break our contract even though the hotel isn't open. So it's this whole, you know, there, there's so much money tied up behind it that people don't understand with contracts and everything else. And even though you're not going to do something, you don't want to preemptively break a contract and then put yourself even in a bigger financial hole. So yeah, I, I, I know that they, that, that this probably, they knew this wasn't going to happen, but you sort of have to, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's as you go through the process
1: yeah and I think the more involved you get um on the other side of things you, the more you understand the types of things that you just explained when you're on the outside, you're right you don't know all the moving parts and you don't have much sympathy' because you just see the the output but the more involved you get, the more you understand how complex it is and how many people you're trying to make happy and considerations you're trying to balance but
0: you know and then and then and then they do cancel, and then the comments are all, oh, the Tour de France just finished what well, you know it's just like this yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 Well, they're in a different world too, but yeah. of course, then entire Bay got canceled today. So I, you know, that, I think that leads to another question too, related to the races. Like, you know, I wasn't planning on racing this season. Um, and the numbers were getting better in Massachusetts. You know, one of the best places I thought you could be in the country right now is in the Northeast and that's probably still the case. Um, but I was going to pay really close attention to trends and and what direction things were going in. And as things reopened, did they get better or worse? And since September one, things have just been getting worse and worse and worse here. With uh, mostly colleges reopening, that's had the biggest impact. Um, schools too, but um, like public schools. But but really, it's been the colleges that have had the biggest impact. But but now, some races have started to pop up in Connecticut in particular. And the the group that's organizing these races is. By all accounts doing a good job. They're doing temperature checks. Like they're basically following the rules uh, as laid out, and co- and they've even come up with like some clever ways to keep people even safer by like certain start times, park in certain parking lots. Like they've even divided up their parking lots. They really, they, it's very thoughtful what they've done. They're not just saying "fuck it" uh, and let's just who cares you know, about the flu? It's not that attitude at all. They're taking things really seriously and then saying, well, what can we do in this environment? So they did run a race and it looked good. And everybody who went said it was good. And, um, I didn't tell my athletes not to go. Uh, and I didn't sort of pillory them publicly or complain about them doing it. I want to see what they could pull off. Uh, and in my opinion, what they're doing is not well, nothing's no risk, right? Nothing's risk free, but it is, I think it's low risk and it's a reasonable thing to do. However, things are getting worse right now and the numbers are going up. And so even they have, they have a couple more races that are coming up and I, I even started to consider them participating in them. But the thing that I can't get my head around is if the numbers are getting worse overall, how can I justify, uh, an optional recreational activity that that isn't no risk in an environment where things are getting worse and so i'm sort of stuck there still not going to complain about what they're doing because i there's some amount of new normal that has to happen where we adapt and and sort of do the best that we can and i don't think this event is contributing to the uptick but it is an optional recreational activity and, and that's a tough thing to get past
0: yeah, I I but you know in, in the same it, it's also how you couch these things. It's an optional recreational activity, but also look, you're you're a coach. One of the reasons that you do a lot of this stuff is because it it's it's it's, it's mental as much as physical. People want to seek you out because this is how they deal with the the stress of everyday life. So th- that's part of it, too. I mean, that has to be a factor that that works into this.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, the way as a coach Um, well, so it has two aspects. Like, sure. I want to make sure people are happy human happiness is a concern here, right? Like, like mental health is a concern, but it is a business consideration for me. Like some people say, well, you don't have to race races are not just talking about me, but one bike racers don't need to go to bike races right now. What if you put on bike races for work? Um, what if you coach people who race bikes for work? For me, this is about, it's on the level of like, should restaurants reopen, um, restaurants are going out of business everywhere because they can't adapt or they can't reopen in the way they want. And the government isn't supporting those businesses to keep them afloat or to keep them closed. The government's not going to pay me not to run bike races right now or not to coach people who aren't going to bike races. Now, I have been am- amazingly and pleasantly surprised by the amount of, um, athletes who have kept up with their coaching. Uh, In terms of the impact to my business, we're certainly not growing right now. but And we have lost athletes who either have lost their jobs, don't have money for coaching right now, um, or who have maybe lost their direction because things revolved around racing for them. In the case of people who lost their income and wanted to keep coaching but couldn't afford it, we've just kept coaching them. We've let people stay on if they were in a spot where they valued that relationship and that relationship was important to them. And if we have the capacity to keep that going for them through this period. We've, we've done that for people because we think these are long-term relationships that we want to hold on to for the clients uh, and for the coaches. But also a lot of our athletes haven't lost their jobs and maybe they're working from home. And even though there's no races, this is they want to keep training and make improvements and find the joy and the value of, of their daily training. Um, in the absence of races, which brings people back to like, well, why did you start racing in the first place? What was it that you did before you raced? So those people that kept their coaching and, and even in the degree that some people have offered to pay up front for longer periods of time, uh, cause they were concerned about us. Mm. They, they targeted cycle smart as a business. They wanted to make sure it was here when the pandemic was over, which has really blown me away. I was not, I didn't think of us that way. So it was great that other people did, um, and then I think the other part is how can I, as a race organizer who's canceled his events, and as a coach who wants to provide opportunities for happiness and satisfaction to athletes, what can I organize that will fill some of that gap? And so we have you know these Saturday morning group training sessions that I've come in limited so that I can. I have an email address for every person that I invite. You know, I can do contact tracing if someone gets sick. We all know each other, we're all answerable to each other. So that's a degree of safety that that makes me feel more comfortable doing this. But we've been doing group workouts together on Saturdays and it's just enough racing to get that taste of blood in your mouth and like feel good for the rest of the day and you took some risks, you heard someone stumble behind you so you stepped on the gas, like those little things that happen in races that are Um, why you race. But we didn't drive anywhere. We didn't pay an entry fee. There's no results. So it's like, stripped away all the lousy part, all the stressful part, and we've kept, you know, it's, it's a lower level on both ends. You know, it's a little bit easier to do. Maybe it's not quite as satisfying as racing, but it's just enough to keep us all going. I've been happy with how that's been going.
0: I think it's been interesting in that it's, it's kind of this reset, that we're going through for, for racing in general. I think that road and crits are looking at that, but cyclocross in a big way, because, you know, you and I have had these conversations for years now about the future of cyclocross in the U S and where we're going and, and UCI involvement and sort of the push and pull there. And I, I did this, this just sort of opened up this either, I mean, it depends how you look at it. This could be a death knell. This could be a great opportunity, you know, where, what we're looking at next year for, for domestic cyclocross. Yeah. What, what do you I mean? And, and this, I'm not like nailing you down to a position here because as you know, these things change all the time, but like right now, yeah. what do you, what are you thinking?
1: Yeah. Well, you can imagine I spend a lot of time thinking about this and I have a position, right? Um, I you use the word opportunity and this isn't criticism at all. Because I have the urge to use the word opportunity all the time, and and I keep catching myself because I want to keep remembering, like there is an opportunity here. You're 100 percent right, but people are dying, and I don't want to be like, absolutely, yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, no, and I'm sure you feel it too. Like that's what I say. It's this isn't criticism at all. Like I keep I keep tripping on the word opportunity. Well,
0: let me let me just jump but, in here. Let me tell you this. So I did yeah. go to a I went to that Apex Pikes Peak Apex race, and I thought Micah oh, yeah. Micah yeah. did a great job doing that and i was like i i'm as selfish as every other as any racer out there and i was like i want to go cover something i think i can do this safely i'm going to be like in my own by myself in my room i have long lenses i can do this and i was glad you know it was a great event and i think they did it safely and i don't think there's been any repercussions of it but when i got back and then just as you know what we're looking through here now and everyone who has passed away from this and everything all sort of the severity i'm Mm -hmm. not doing it again you know and it and that has hit that has hit home and i and i had this i was like i had this pipe dream of like huger heida and world is always a nice little stretch you know you can sort of jump in there do that cover that i got clients that that that'll um make that possible and and no i don't want to do it so yes you're absolutely right i don't want this is this is one of those things where you definitely the cloud is is much greater than the silver lining here you know that's and that's that's definitely the perspective that we have to keep
1: yeah well so I sympathize entirely with your like decision making process there. I think it's reasonable to go. And it sounds like you drew reasonable conclusions based on what you saw. You wanted to figure out if this was gonna be okay. And if you didn't go, you wouldn't know. Um and, but it's interesting that you felt like it was well done, because that's how it, I feel about these races in Connecticut. But I'm still not going. Um and I'm not judging anybody who is. I'm at that point where my my judgment has come down a little bit. We gotta we find have. our spot.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, we all think, we well, we were just like Good Lord, you know, and it, it started, you know, look, I, I canceled my, my event, my best event for me, the garage races, I canceled seven months ago. Right. You know, right, it it's just right. seems like an eternity. And that was the same time when these gravel events were going on and everything. And I think people were just really, was just freaked out and it was much more emotional and we didn't know what was going on. And I, I don't think any, I, I think all of the conclusions people came to at that time were, were, um, you know, reasonable. And I think that y- you're right where I think we've all kind of shifted and kind of figured out what the reasonable response is now. with still being careful and safe.
1: Right. Cause we still, we know more and it was reasonable to cancel when we didn't know, you know, like it was important. Hey, we don't know. So let's not take that risk. We have more knowledge now, but there's still a lot that we don't know. Cause we don't know about like permanent disability and long-term damage. And so we're learning more and so we're finding more comfortable places um to to plan things around and that's that's the normal progression of things. And I think until we have a vaccine, we know we're not going to get anywhere close to full reopening of all all types. But but like bringing it back around to the idea of like uh, what's what do we think is going to happen for next year or where are we for the rest of this year? I know for me I have a lot of personal things that I'm trying to balance with this too. You know, my my son just turned five and the, the blessing and the curse of the pandemic is uh, an incredible amount of time with my family and also weekends. Personally, I haven't had weekends without bike racing since I was 15 years old. I'm 48 now. I've never had a life that included open weekends, two months a year at most. And in those two months a year, I was training. You know, it's still the weekends weren't open. So to spend this these past six, seven months uh doing sort of semi-normal human things with my family on Saturdays and Sundays, uh has helped me uh I don't know, break a cycle, you could say like similar to the races being canceled, like you talked about we're going to rethink how we, uh, set our races up in relation to the UCI, the whole structure of how we do things. So that, that extends to all things. Like I'm rethinking my entire life. And when the pandemic is over, am I going to go back to racing bikes every Saturday and Sunday? Absolutely not. My kid's going to be six. He's only going to be six once. And I, I can't miss that. I don't want to miss that. Uh, at the same time, do I need to race bikes for my own like mental health and happiness and well-being? Absolutely. I'm not quitting bike racing either. So there'll be a new normal for me that involves I think a lot of people are going through this. I don't mean this to be just about me. I think this is universal. There'll be some new you'll land in a new place that has all of your priorities shifted because things got taken away from you. And as you're allowed to re-engage with them, I think there's a evaluation of that. So with bike races, our organization of races, uh, like I posted recently, I want to clean out the trailer the Vittoria series, the New England Cyclocross series trailer. And it's mostly stuff I had to get rid of. It was, it was out-of-date signage. Um, it was stuff we weren't going to use again. Um, it was trash. It was unfortunately trash. And, you know, I saved what I could and recycled what I could. Uh, but I also didn't need to sit on this trailer. Um, the trailer rots if it sits there, right? If you just park a trailer, mice end up living in it. And the tires go flat and everything rusts. And so I, I realized I need to sell this trailer. I need to actually turn that into cash for a little while while we figure out what we're doing. Because I personally don't expect there to be a New England cyclocross series next season in the way that it's existed since I took it over in 2000. So the, the series is a, is a collection of eight UCI events based in New England that got harder to do. And that's why we expanded to New York um, so that I could maintain that level of, of eight events. And even some years we only had six. So when people have this idea that we're going to like, everything's just the lights are going to get turned back on next season. And they're not, there's permanent damage that's been done to everyone in all areas. And we're not just going to go back to normal. So people started messaging me like, are you really canceling everything? Is this really never going to happen again? And I was like, well, Victoria had stopped their sponsorship before the pandemic hit. I already knew that I didn't have Victoria as a sponsor. They were great. They they gave us a lot of money for the past few years, but management changes there and they had gotten what they needed out of it and they were ready to move on. Like no problem there. It was just that relationship was ending. Well, there's no environment right now to go out and ask for 20 or 30 or $50,000 to sponsor your bike race series. Um, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. I don't like that job anyway. Uh, So, No sponsor and no races. You know, I only run Northampton. I don't own the other events there. We're a, we're a federation of events. Uh, Gloucester's not coming back. Uh, I don't know if NBX is coming back. Uh, I don't know what miles is doing with Supercross If Supercross comes back. Like there, at one point there were 14 UCI races in new England and we were down to four, 6 with with uh Adam Sykes's new race. So, you know, it's not enough to run a series, a UCI series in the way that I want it. So will there be some kind of New England points series next year? Yeah, maybe, probably. And it might be something that is as simple as everybody running the same categories and points on a website and jerseys. I, I you know, I can commit to stringing some things together to try to make things get, good again but uh, i have to say uh i don't miss running a bike race this fall and i don't miss running the series uh it's really been wonderful to have a break from that after 30 years of running northampton and 20 years of running the series yeah i'm happy to catch my breath
0: oh we're feeling the same way for sure you know it was yeah it was disappointing to to have to cancel dccx and 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 our series as well but at the same time it's it was good to take a break. We haven't been doing it that long, but it's definitely been over a decade. So it's, it's, it's a lot of cumulative time in there.
1: I, I think my priorities have changed too. Like, you know, the, the origin of the series as it, before I took the series over in 90s and the 80s, the New England Cyclocross series, when Tom Stevens ran it, for a while it was every single race in New England. And then, when I started helping him with it, I convinced him that that was too many races because we had so many races and they were all local races. We were getting to the point where we were starting to have UCI races. And, you know, I convinced him that it should just be the best races. You should boil this down to the best races. And then, when he stepped back and handed the reins over to me in 2000, that's when I said, okay, it's not just going to be the best races. Everybody has to be a UCI race. This is the level we want to get this to. And that was 2000. And by 2003, It was just UCI only. And that's where Gloucester started as well in that period. Um, And what I was trying to do there is, you know, I'd gone to Switzerland. I had raced international events in Europe. I understood that in Europe, uh, a national series, quote unquote, was really just a regional series. Switzerland is the size of New England. I was like, oh, I could run a UCI series that just... Was that everything was drivable to that you didn't have to get on a plane to do in contrast with the super cup series, which was a national UCI series. I wanted a geographically regional UCI series. And so that's how it started. Well, that's been successful. You look at the juniors who've come through as, as cubs, as, as nine to 14 year olds and then went through every category on their way up and then ended up at the world championships at some point. You know, that, that's the goal. That was the opportunity that I was trying to provide while still for the athletes who were only going to reach a certain point could also have high quality racing because of the structure of the event. You can be a career cap three and get a course that was UCI quality and a level of attention and race production that was UCI quality. That was a secret to our success. Well, I also think in this period of um, increased mindfulness of social justice and um, Those kinds of opportunities. And we know that that's like bike racing always has a high um, barrier of entry. And that's a thing that we want to lower. You know, I'm also realizing like my races aren't actually available or accessible to everybody. And I can't fix everything, especially with a cross race. That you only have eight hours a day and limited daylight to work with. Like you can't really serve. I thought I was serving everyone, but there was a whole group of people who couldn't even get to the start line. Of my races and so if i'm going to go back to race promotion next year i think my my priorities have shifted to the degree that i've been forced to let go of the uci end of things and now that i've been forced to let go of this thing that i worked so hard for got taken away from me it actually has freed me up to rethink who i want to serve and how i want to serve them and so the series might look different in the future with that in mind yeah yeah
0: I, I think also there, there are a couple of things that I keep thinking about. Well, one just, I, and I've tried, tried to explain this a little bit, but you're, you're in a better position to do it. It is sort of the, 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 the reasoning behind why race organizers in the U S want to have a UCI event in the first place. And, yeah it's it's great as an organizer just just as milestones to build yourself up to a point where you can be a uci event but in reality if you want to do it you can do it you can put on a race for a couple of years you know the uci is happy to take your money and you can have a uci event to, to a certain extent you know yeah you jump through the hoops right there's a, the a standards you have to meet it's not hard to do but the thing that and I think this is this is different for where you are in the country. For for New England where you're at, for Mid Atlantic, where I'm at, we're gonna cover our bills. We're actually going to be able to be fine every year, whether we're a UCI event or not, because we have people coming out to our races. We have we have density is our biggest commodity. Yeah, yeah that's right. You yeah. know? And and, and it's yeah. always going to be that way. To the point that we could have our event and make, at the end of the day, bring in the same amount of money and probably more if we weren't a UCI That's event. Right. Yeah, and, and this is the thing that I don't think people understand. And it really it became much clearer this year. And even talking with uh, Jeff Lucido and and Tanner Colbreth, who, who run Resolution, run Ruts and Guts, who don't have that commodity. They don't have a ton of people coming out to the the races to cover, cover all their costs. And they're like, well, we're not going to go into debt. If no elites are going to show up to our race, the reason that we do this is to try to promote cyclocross at the highest level in the U S. And I think that gets lost. Sometimes I think that gets lost at USA cycling sometimes for why we want to put on UCI events. And it really is, I believe, and and maybe I'm wrong. You know, is 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 to promote these athletes and give them an opportunity to race at the highest level.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing that when we've gotten to those points where USA Cycling has said, "Oh, there are too many ECI events," and and you know, one way they've dealt with that is by raising the bar. And sometimes the way they've raised the bar is just by raising the cost. That is one way to raise the bar; only the richest races survive. That's not really the best way to do it because. Some mediocre races were funded by people with money, um, and those races held on for longer than they should. Uh, but what they haven't done is replace the value that we get from being UCI-affiliated with anything else. There's no other thing that they've said could keep our events at that same level. The value that we get from being a UCI event is still, in my opinion, it's been worth the cost. So when I look at events... Um, in regions with less density and maybe a smaller cyclocross scene. Well, the way I think of it is there's two approaches with the UCI event. You, you start in a dense area with a strong scene and you build up to the pinnacle of having a UCI event and it goes from the ground up. And that's the way we've always done it in the Northeast, of course, and, and I think the Mid atlantic as well. The other model, I think the first time I saw this implemented was actually in Louisville where there was no scene in Louisville prior to Worlds, but there was a sports commission with marketing money and a desire to bring an event. And the Super Cup, to their credit, identified that region as um, ripe for events. They were looking for events and they went top down. They were people in Louisville who had never seen cyclocross before. And as a result of the Super Cup happening, a scene was born out of bringing a big event and all the big riders to the region it they planted a seed that grew grew into worlds and now there's a cross scene in louisville that crossing in louisville not no exaggeration is a hundred percent a result of bruce and joan and Louisville sports commission bringing a super cup and then eventually the world championships but it started with that super cup so i see texas and oklahoma as well they're in a little bit in the middle because they do have a local scene Mm. uh they're not starting from nothing but it's worth it for them to have these big events to showcase their scene to the rest of the country and bring the riders in to help grow their scene absolutely but but yeah they're not gonna if no one's gonna come why are they gonna why are they gonna pay for it and I was gonna ask you I hadn't heard that they had finally uh, canceled their events so that must have just happened I missed it
0: yeah and it, it was you know I mean, and I think their their reasoning was I mean it's the without being able to cover their costs but the the bigger thing for them is that they wanted even with everyone else canceling if if Nationals was still going to exist and this was a great run up to Nationals they wanted to give the opportunity for riders at any level and especially elites to to get UCI points to get sort of a shaking out before that gritting starts for Nationals to sort of have something Know, similar to what we saw in the mountain bike season, the World Cup season was two weeks long. So you have yeah. that and it's a buildup yeah. to it, and then you go to nationals, assuming all that's gonna happen. Once nationals canceled, they're like, Well, there's no reason for us to do this. There's no, yeah. you know, we're not serving yeah. the better good here. So that's that's when they ended those.
1: Yeah, events. I hadn't seen it, but that makes perfect sense. And, and that's definitely the right call. I appreciate them for hanging on for as long as they did. Again, I think some people were criticizing them for it, but I think you don't cancel till you are definitively Need to cancel. I know I canceled my race a little bit early too, but that's because I actually felt confident that I had all the information I needed to know that I could give everybody as much advance notice that it wasn't going to happen as possible. Yeah. my My drop dead date for Northampton was actually last Friday. Hmm. I didn't even I had already canceled, you know, but I had it on my calendar as on off for Northampton drop dead date six weeks before the event, you know. So
0: I I think we had the easiest decision to make. In the in the country,
1: well, because you had some, you you like had early, like like your garage races.
0: Well, my garage races, yeah, that one was that went down in that building. Yeah, that was one of the first cases in the U.S. happened in that building, so that one wasn't tough. And then DCCX takes place in this walled off federal property in the middle of dc that is the armed forces retirement home this is where you know veterans of foreign <laughs> wars are living out their lives there's no way they were letting us bring two thousand people into their onto their grounds that just wasn't happening yeah
1: well i you know so i just maybe to tie up like what is next year and to look like mm-hmm. um you know normally we have to announce if we're going to do uci races by mid-december and Uh, We we haven't had started those conversations at USA Cycling, and even in our USA Cycling Cyclocross Committee group, we haven't been talking about that even either. Like, it's interesting that the focus of the meeting, the the group's meetings, most recently, have have narrowed to how can we help the elite riders who are trying to go to Europe, because there's almost nothing else to talk about. It's so strange because. Part of what I like about this group is it's not a, just focused on elites, and I, it's not even primarily focused on elites. I really like the group of people that I work with um, on the the commission right now, the current group. And someone just donated some money to USA Cycling to bring Jesse's salary back, so Jesse's back at work. You know, someone else paid for that. USA Cycling didn't have money for that right now, so there's a uh, development foundation type money donation money that's actually paying Jesse's salary because there is work to do around at least the national team riding international riders and getting ready for worlds at the very least that that is still happening that's more or less the only I mean they did work up some covid safe race planning protocols so I do appreciate that from USA cycling there was work done to say if you want to still organize an event Here's maybe how we suggest doing it. And of course, UFC Cycling would like for there to be racing happening. If it can be done safely, they are in the business of making events happen. It is their primary goal. So um, yeah, it's weird for that to be the focus right now, but we haven't really started talking about next year because I think think we're all still hopeful there's going to be a road and mountain bike season next spring. Even though we, I think all keep, Setting expectations that we then have to push back. When when Road got canceled, we were sure we were gonna have a cross season. Mm -hmm. And then when Cross got canceled, that was like the second disappointment that I think really crushed a lot of people. And so now I think we're ready for everything, but I think we're all hoping that we'll be racing in the spring. And and we I don't think anyone can imagine not racing cross next fall. We have to have this sorted out by then, right?
0: Yeah, and we got the announcement. That which was a surprise to me because I didn't think any of these things really got sorted out normally until later in the year after Worlds about when World Cups were going to show up and that kind of thing that Waterloo is happening and even yeah. with a definitive date and of course... I'm sure you had a similar response when you see that you're like, okay, well that's a different date than they had this year. So you're sort of going into, into that fun, you know, game we always play with. Let's shuffle the deck and see where races land. I'm thinking, all right, well, who does this affect? Where does this put people? What's, what's going to happen with this announcement? And then sort of taking a step back. Well, if, if we're even at that point, but it was kind of funny. That was my first response. I was like pulling up last year's calendar and looking to see where things were going to move around and,
1: I know. And you're right. It was early. I was like, Oh, well, someone's been working on something. Right. Which I was grateful for, For you know, and I think there was a trickle down effect. We all deal with it. You know, the, the regular UCI races plan around the world cups. Um, and then the, the local races plan around the UCI races. And, you know, so we, we all, there's always a bigger bully. Um, you know, you're never the, you're never the, the top of that heap really, except your world championships. So, Uh, but yeah, it's nice to have that to plan around and be hopeful that it happens next year. And I think he gave everybody, um, something to cling to a little bit of thing, a little bit, something to look forward to. And, you know, uh, another thing that's come up too, is like, I was talking with Al Donahue, who's, you know, one of my senior coaches at cycle smart and also the race director for Northampton and runs jam fund and coaches half of the top 10 at nationals every year in the men's race. Uh, you know, he was thinking about running something small, maybe at Northampton, something COVID safe. And I checked back in with everybody's like, nah, you know, I'm going to use, I'm actually going to use this energy for the election. Cause like, I don't really care about running a bike race right now. Like democracy is dying and I'm going to use this energy to, I'm, I'm going to spend it on like voter
0: recruitment
1: and, and politics, which yeah. was, pretty much the right answer you know it's just there's a bigger shit going on right now than bike racing
0: yeah talking about bigger shit going on i think we all you know we're concerned about al how how's he doing what's the what's the update for him
1: (laughs) you know al's al's an enigma sometimes um he uh he's not quick to talk about himself and uh you know he'll kind of deal with his um, Struggles sometimes quietly and on his own, and you really got to push him to to get news. But uh, I think he's doing well. Um, yeah, for I want to be careful not to. Um,
0: no, I don't. I mean, it, it was public knowledge because there were, you know.
1: Well, I just don't want to say anything wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but like, for those well, that yeah, don't know, he, he did. A he, he did suffer a stroke,
0: yeah. right? Yeah, and,
1: and that's sometimes I I've, I've learned a lot about strokes. I guess really, what I was trying to say there is um, sometimes I get confused about. Uh, his exact medical condition because uh, there's a lot to understand about strokes and aneurysms and blood clots and stents. And it's really, it's quite complicated. And until you're in it, I think, or you're a doctor, you might not have your head around all of it. So I just don't want to misspeak, sure. but he had a stroke and we could probably stop there and I'm not wrong. Um, and he had a second stroke while he was in rehab. And that one, um, that was a the tough one. Um, so there was a prediction that like certainly he wasn't going to be able to race again and and he wouldn't be able to ride in a pack. He's lost some vision and that's a problem obviously for, for riding in a group. Uh, but in classic Al style, you know, he's on Zwift, he's riding outside on a mountain bike. He's, he's, you know, he's making the recovery that you would expect. And I think he's not going to get his vision back fully and, and, and that will be a limiter to a certain degree. But, um, Yeah. I don't want to say that he's, no, that's, that's great to hear. Yeah, He's he's got some permanent disability that he'll be managing now, but he's doing remarkably well. Um, the fallout from a stroke is it's different for everybody and it's certainly catastrophic, but, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's back to work with all his athletes and communicating well and we're meeting every week and having great conversations and he's still the smartest guy I know. And, um, you know, that comes out in every conversation I have with him. So, uh, you know, we're just glad glad he's still here with us really.
0: Yeah. Uh, in our last, uh, couple minutes here, I do want to talk about cyclocross that is happening and, and, and the, the, the season ahead of us, or at least happening for now. And that's kind of where I want to kick this off. You know, I mean, we had Flanders Classics, which threw this whole wrench into the whole cyclocross world, for better or for worse. We never really had an opportunity to to find out where they're going to say, "Hey, we're going to have sixteen World Cups," you know. Yeah. And then that got pared down to twelve almost immediately. And since that time, almost weekly here, if not more, it's just been going. We're at six right now. I was gonna say we're we at six. We're now? at six yeah. plus. There's Holst, which as we know is having the issues. We have three of those which are in Belgium which I think is probably the worst off <clears throat> excuse me the worst off in Europe right now we and again we go back to paris Bay just being canceled so events are falling off the the calendar do you have athletes who are trying to weigh those waters and and it seems like the advice is is changing daily on on what North American riders should expect and even try to put together at this point.
1: Yeah, I think it's gone both ways for the the highest level athletes um, that we're working with, you know, formally and informally. um, Let's talk about Curtis White is a, an athlete that we work with formally and, and Al's uh, coaching for sure. His plan is to go to Europe and get set up in Europe and he's been doing all the training Um, you know, with like a shifted schedule in mind. and
0: Yeah, I talked to him a couple weeks ago, just perfect Curtis, you know, like gung-ho, upbeat, ready to roll, training hard.
1: He's like a model citizen, right? Because he's just a good dude and there's nothing controversial about Curtis. He just punches the clock and does his work and is really cheerful and helpful and uh, he's just a very level personality, but he has been training very, very hard. And also I think doing a good job of, like they've been meeting out in Eastern, out in Western Mass in East Hampton for weekend training sessions uh, where we get all the best athletes that we work with together. And so that's been Curtis and Stephen Hyde and uh, all the Jam Fund riders. And, and they've just been going out in the woods and kicking each other's heads in, you know, in lieu of racing. And I think that's been great for all of them. With the small events that have started to pop up, Curtis has been participating in those um, and doing things Frankie McCormick style, which is, sitting on the start line for two minutes and then trying to ride his way through the field, chasing everybody. But even doing things like he's been intentionally running sections that other people are riding to make sure that he's getting the running training that he needs. So something maybe he could ride. Uh, he's been like running. So he's making the race as hard as he can for himself. And it's good because it's, the thing that I've noticed about it is he, it's he's con- he's contributing to the community by showing up uh, someone's putting the effort to set a course up, the effort to set a course up. It's nice to ride on a finished course, you know, even if you're the strongest guy there and you're definitely going to win, people are happy that he's there. When he comes by, people try to stay on his wheel for a little while. And I think that's a thrill for people and they want to watch and see how fast he goes. And he's been very, um, thoughtful and thankful for the organizers, for the work they've done and keeping things safe. So, you know, I enjoy his social media and we, we, we bump a lot of his posts on Cycle Smart. but getting back to your question about what he's doing. Yeah, he's, he's been preparing for going to Europe um, and expecting to race, you know, some World Cups and World Championships um, along with the rest of that Cannondale team. Uh, I'm not sure the details about when he is supposed to leave, but I think the goal was November, that they were going to be there for November. And I think, you know, Kerry Warner was was planning the same thing. He's not an athlete of ours, but um,
0: I think he's he um, just he just announced a day or two ago that he is he's staying at home.
1: Oh, I, so I didn't hear that. Yeah. So uh, Emily Werner is the our nutrition coach for Cycle Smart. So we talked to them a lot. But the last conversation I had with them was they were nervous about it, but they were still. So that's a bummer to hear. Yeah, I think Becca I think
0: Becca they, still is planning on it, but Carrie Carrie's staying at home. So the challenge for all those athletes is
1: obviously getting out of America, right? Getting getting out of the U.S. and and getting over there. And then I think now as events are getting canceled, the incentive for doing it is getting smaller and smaller. Like if you get over there, the question they were all asking is if you get over there, is, gonna, is there going to be anything left mm-hmm. when we get there? So uh, I have not heard that Curtis's plans have changed or that Stevens' plans have changed, uh, but I may not have the most current info. Yeah.
0: I think that it's even, it, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because all of, I think what we all predicted early on in this, from what experts were saying is starting to come true almost, almost to a, to a point other than, I think we thought that we'd able to be able to squeeze in some cyclocross races around now. I think that's what everybody had in the U S had anticipated, but what most people were saying was everybody, everything is going, there's going to be a point where you're going to get everything in and then the second wave is going to happen and we've we've sort of been talking that talk for a really long time and it does seem like it's happening i mean you got the tour that was able to go off we got our mountain bike season that was able to you know we'll complete this weekend with worlds but it seems like now everything is starting to sort of shift back to this second wave happening and i think that cyclocross is going to be um yeah it, it, there may not be a, a ton left i mean i hope there is i hope that the, this isn't the case that everyone is able to put the protocols in there and we do we are able to have racing but doesn't doesn't look like it's going in a good 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 direction
1: right and it's that tough thing where like the 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 events are not the problem the events are they have the potential to be a problem but so far the events haven't at least of a certain size haven't been the problem you don't have to have spectators cyclocross especially has the potential to be a a very low risk activity if it's done a, a certain way, um, compared to like the crowds that we saw on the climbs of the tour, which just looked ridiculous. And I thought people should get arrested.
0: But, yeah, uh, and, and even it, in cyclocross, I mean, we, we both know we've seen it in per, person many, many times. It's not the cyclocross. The the crowds are huge. And that's, that's an issue. And we've we've, we've seen right. these early, yeah. these, um, atheist, uh, cross races, which look kind of create, look very North American with, uh, uh, and no crowds, a, not a lot of people <laughs> yeah. out there. But I mean, yeah. the, the 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 biggest factor at these races is DJ Benny in the disco tent with right. you know two thousand people packed in there with no ventilation, just having a yeah. party, which is awesome every other year except this year, and that's that's the I, thing that I think was the biggest risk factor for cyclocross. Yeah,
1: and even for North American racing, for me, I just I called the parking lot. I thought the parking yeah. lot was the problem. For
0: sure, me too. Yeah. And that that was that was oh. my thing is that you can you can space people out in a starting grid and do all this other thing. But it's like, and, and you know, once you got that adrenaline rush, once you got those endorphins going and you go back to the parking lot and you want to like crack a beer with your friends and talk about how the race went and you are like talking enthusiastically with each other. That's, that's, I think where it it sort of falls apart. You forget yourself. Right.
1: It's like going to the bar and you can be careful until you're a couple drinks in and then. Right. So, no, I, 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 agree. And so, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, we've all seen it a bunch of times about sports being the reward for a normally functioning society. What do you, you think know, about great, that? What, a, what, I think I, I have two feelings about okay. it. It's a great, it's a great quote. And I actually agree with the sentiment, you know, it, it raises the questions about the value of sports in society That's the, the, so, yeah. a, as entertainment absolutely like it's it's hierarchy of needs right like sports Mm -hmm. is not um one of the first things on there on the other hand sport the value of sports um both both as a participant as a spectator contribute to healthy functioning of society they we we um it contributes to our physical and mental well-being to have sports sports are important uh so where is the line between sports being a reward and sports being a necessity? Exercise is a necessity. Yeah. Um, professional sports or like spectator sports are maybe not as much of a necessity. But where do you cross that line from one into the other? So, you know, I I'm happy to have the pressure. Like, let's get our shit together so we can race bikes. The racing bikes isn't the problem. It's the everything else. And if we can't do everything else, then we shouldn't be racing bikes or yeah. that's and i think we agree on that and probably yeah i just i content. don't
0: i don't like it when it's almost this false equivalent that we're going through a horrible time so you're not allowed to do anything yeah. that is maybe seemed fun or enjoyable which i think is just and, and you see that attitude out there and i, I understand yeah. it mentally but i think it's uh it's sometimes a wrong way to, to to look at life you know you can still be a caring person who wants to do everything to get us back to a place and still enjoy an activity that's safe I, I, you know that, yeah that's that's, uh,
1: that's right well i mean because you can take that to the extreme and like we don't all need to shave our heads and give our belongings away to make the world a better place um and sometimes it can feel like you do need to and this is the same way like you need to be good at whatever it is that you decide to do and happy doing whatever it is you decide to do and put that goodness and happiness out into the world and the people that you come into contact with I pick my kid up at school every day um, on one of my old racing bikes with a baby seat on the back. And that hour that we spend together is one of the most important parts of my day. Uh, that's sports, that's exercise. It's critical for both of us. Then I see the faces of people who see us. They, I see them smiling at us from under their masks. They are so happy. So many people are made happy by seeing Flynn and I ride by me and my racing kit, I'm in spandex and he's in a parka, you know, um, we're a funny sight, Um, and people get a kick out of it. And I just see how many people have like, we exchange a smile, a moment of like shared experience and acknowledgement and happiness. And I swear to God, it's the most important thing I do all day long for me, for Flynn and for other people. There's just joy being put out into the world. And so that's sports too. Yeah. You telling me I can't, People should remember when they say that sports actually takes a lot of forms. Um, Yeah, maybe we don't need, I don't know, maybe pro sports doesn't need to happen. But but also that's someone's job too. Like you're taking money out of people's pockets. You're taking away their ability to make a living. And that's part of the challenge of a shutdown. The government pays us all to stay home as they should. You know, that's a different set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. But since that's not happening, everybody's got to find their
0: spot yeah you know back to i think we should finish just a little bit on on the the what can't be forgotten in this and what you brought up and especially about the 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 series going forward and make an accessibility for our sport is 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 something that is going to take race organizers now who are thinking about it to keep that momentum into next year to make it something. And it's something that I know just on our, you know, Slack channels or the CX air Slack channel, it's something that's, you know, we talk about a lot and it's in, in the different disciplines and something like cyclocross is, is really a place where, where we can make this happen because we have the ability to bring in a lot of people at, I think a lower barrier than a lot of other, disciplines of of cycling i mean that's that's the thing with cycling that's what we always say you know it's it's the easiest sport to get into you know you're not going to be dropped in a road race you're not it's not you know you're not mountain biking down something scary it's it's really it's it's a good place to start and and there are ways to do it i mean even i i sort of like inadvertently got pushed into this with the garage races where i have groups coming up to me and saying hey can we get our kids who you know are at a bike collective in a in a, you know, I don't have the opportunities that other kids do. And can they race this race? And I was like, yeah, yeah, they can figure out how to make it so that, yeah, at first you're like, well, is that fair? And you're like, well, of course it is. And then they've been doing this for, you know, the last couple of years. And it's, it's, it's honestly, in the end, it costs me maybe a couple hundred dollars every, every series. Yeah. So, So I, I think that that is something that we really. Need to keep at the forefront in everybody's mind as as we move forward into next year for whatever you know our our sport is gonna look like,
1: yeah, like a thing that I'm fond of repeating is um you fix the problem wherever you touch it, and for me, I'm a race organizer, I'm a coach, I run a club, I run teams um I'm a racer, so it's tricky because as a race organizer, which is what we're talking about right now, you can't fix everything as a race organizer. How do you fix things that probably should get fixed at the club level? There are, there are a lot of the barriers to entry need to be lowered, uh, at the club level, not at the race level necessarily. Now that said, what I'm realizing is, well, maybe I can actually do more at the race level. If I change the structure of my races and, And how you find out about them and how you participate in them. What I thought was my bottom level, my category fives, that's not my bottom level. I'm realizing there's a whole category below that, that I need to, I want to get to now I'm, I'm just a race. I'm not a club. So I can't, there are going to be things that I can't do, but I do want to invite the people who are sort of don't have licenses yet or memberships or whatever usa cycling wants to call them but but below cat5 how do i get those who are the customers that i don't have and why am i losing people after they do find me right so that's what i want to work on
0: we used to do that at dccx before we were well i i shouldn't say we uh dcmtb used to do that at uh DCCX before we bumped it up to a UCI race. We'd ha- they, they'd have a rookie race and it was amazing. Yeah. It'd be 150 people in there. They'd sell it out every year. And it was like, you know, no lights. I think, yeah, it was all one days. And I think that was, and then the, the fee was like super low and it just gave people a taste and you could see people working their way up from that where you can go back in the mid Atlantic area and say, yeah, my first race ever was, you know, DCCX rookie race.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, let me give you a, a real example. Like the one PVD, the one Providence team, um, in Providence, Rhode Island, you know, here's a club that serve in that group that doesn't have access that we haven't been reaching out to that isn't going to figure it out on their own that, that the riders in this club are dealing maybe with things like just getting to school or like at if bikes, not bombs in Boston, the nonprofit that I, I like to promote and and try to raise funds for you know when they earn a bike program um when i when I was toward uh, when i when I was shown the program, I learned that some of the kids there, like the after school program they had there was a meal included for those kids who were there, and that was a meal they might miss if they weren't in this program uh, you know that was a wake up call for me like I'm thinking about bike racing, and fine, I grew up poor like I understand some of these things, but maybe I had forgotten about the, the daily struggles that people are trying to get over. We're talking about bike racing. The, the barrier to entry is way lower than the things that we have been thinking about as race organizers. And again, I might not be able to fix all of those, but if I can support one PVD and do things like get their whole team to my cross camp for free, that's, uh, that's something that we've done. And that's a way that maybe I can change things. And now those kids are riding our old bikes. They're winning junior races. Like I'm watching that happen. And I'm like, okay, this is where we fix cycling with Richmond Cycling Corps and um, Philadelphia Bicycle Coalition. This is why I made that database and asked for help collecting that database of contacts for, for, you know, for lack of a better title, like, list of diversity focused clubs in the u.s and i I, it's a terrible title but the goal there was uh for the clubs that are trying to reach out to maybe under-resourced underprivileged um clubs women people of color uh whatever whatever is not the current uh customer base we have in cycling, right? USA Cycling has a current customer base. We know how old they are. We know what color they are. Uh, we know what they look like. We know what their income is. Where's everybody else and why aren't they staying? So here's the list of clubs that are focused on those people. At least if I can like help people know that these clubs are out there. I have ones that I like to promote. For me, Richmond Cycling Corps was one of the first ones I became aware of. Yeah. And that, that organization is saving kids lives, it's not just about bike racing. And I saw that with one PVD as well. I've seen it in Philadelphia Bicycle Coalition. Um, Bikes Not Bombs, I, w- I would love to create that same kind of club with them. They serve the kids in other ways, but like, that's where I hope people are sending their money and their resources and things like that if we want to change the sport. Those are the... Sh- like, if I'm going to give shout-outs to anybody, those are the shout-outs to the clubs. That I think people... Sh- and there, there are lots and lots more. Those are the ones that I'm personally familiar with.
0: Yeah, Richmond Cycling Court. That's uh, when I was in high school playing basketball where they're located or all the, that's who we used to, those are the schools we used to play. These, these, uh, you know, downtown Richmond schools. And it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge in those, those neighborhoods for sure. They're a, they're a great organization. Yeah.
1: So when I see people putting the effort in there, it makes me question why I'm running UCI races. I feel like my energy might be going into the wrong place. If I really, my priorities are shifting. Yeah. And, and I think I want more energy more of my energy to go towards efforts like that, than international cyclocross opportunities for the top part of the sport. I'd like to be able to do it all, maybe I can but I'm missing that part and I gotta add that part in.
0: Awesome. Well, Adam, I know we could do this for the next four hours, but uh, we're at one hour, so I I really appreciate you uh, 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 joining me. This was a great chat. Yeah, we should do
1: it regularly. I think we say that every time too, and then we don't talk for a year, but since we (laughs) haven't been seeing each other in person, is a good opportunity for us to catch up. Hey, Wide Angle Podium friends! Join me, longtime cyclocross rider
0: Molly Herford,
1: and me, endurance coach Peter Glassford, on the Consummate Athlete podcast.
0: You'll learn about how the pros like Katarina Nash, Ellen Noble, and Magalie Rochette train,
1: and hear the best advice from experts in exercise science, nutrition, and sports psych to crush your racing goals. We discuss topics like how to run for cyclocross training, if strength training will improve your cycling, how NASCAR can teach you how to corner smoother, and how to fuel for a long day at the races. Come hang out and learn how to live a happy, adventurous life. Subscribe to the Consummate Athlete Podcast and visit us online at consummateathlete.com.